Welcome everyone to this week's show. Uh, it, it's going to be one of our best shows yet. And uh, as always, we're here to bring you the trials and tribulations, collaborations and automations from the world of DevOps and the greater developer experience. Today, our guest is Arvinder Singh, a startup CTO, founder, an educator. And we first met at 500 Startups in San Francisco yeah. when he was building a startup called Urban Logic. Ravinder, it's great to see you again. Welcome to the show. How's it going? Uh, thank you, Tristan. It's, uh, it's great to be on the show. And uh, uh, Kyle, hello as well. Um, yeah, it's doing um, as well as I can. Uh, I'm doing, much doing uh, a lot better than the first few weeks of quarantine. I think we've all gotten into the rhythms of it. We're mm -hmm. doing well. How about yourself? Amazing. I'm doing great. Um, I'm hopefully not too much into the uh, middle of the yard as I just immediately as we started, someone started mowing their lawn. <laughs> but welcome to COVID and welcome to our work from home days that we live. Uh, so you just posted some really interesting stuff in the community. Um, so let's jump there quick and kick it off. Uh, so here, uh, you know, you posted a few articles, but maybe we start a little bit on your the latest tweet storm that you had about the seek hashtag. I'm really interested to hear more about this. And, you know, this is one of those many things where, you know, more inclusive uh, products can be built by more diverse teams and can catch, you know, and especially cross country collaboration. And, and so tell me a little bit more about what you, what you discovered and, and what happened. Yeah. So um, just to give a little bit of background uh, to that, uh, the last company that I co-founded with, uh, you know, three of the co-founders, this was, uh, you know, five five years ago, yeah, four four and a half years ago, and that's uh, you know, and was one of the 500 startups company, uh, Urban Logic, and that's where we met first time. Um, it, it was a data company. What we used to do, we used to take uh, you know, uh, data that you know, different um, forms of comments and rate and data that is all around us, and the insights that can be found within the data. Um, so I think. Uh, you know, when we were building that, I became acutely aware of, uh, you know, usage of data, the power of data, but also I think the other thing that usually gets ignored is the, the bias that is within the data. Um, and I think it becomes a lot more relevant uh, given the, uh, you know, the Black Lives Matters movement and everything that is happening in the news. So um, this particular incident happened, uh, you know, every year in June, uh, we celebrate, um, you know, Sikh uh, Kalukara Divas, which is, uh, you know, in 1984, uh, June of 1984, um, you know, there was uh, the Army Storm, one of the, the core uh, Sikh Gurdwaras uh, in India and, um, you know, used, used army against its own citizens. And it is, uh, you know, every year the Sikh community holds it as a as a time of reflection and as a time of uh, one of the things that uh, Sikh community does in um, in Canada, for example, uh, we do um, blood donation camps in the in the memory of those nineteen, and it's one of the largest uh, blood donation camps that happens in in, in Canada. Um, so during that time, the Sikh hashtag because a lot of people post about. The questions that that lingered on, and some of, I think, um, some of the issues related to that was the justice that was not served after that. There weren't many commissions that were set up, so um, the, the Sikh hashtag was used. Interestingly, during this time, the Sikh uh, hashtag was blocked uh, 
on both Instagram and uh, Instagram and Facebook. And it came into the notice of the Sikh community. And, um, you know, there were a lot of theories that started to go around. And uh, coming from, you know, the data background, I, you know, I, I started to explore a little bit more about it. And uh, it went to how content is, you know, moderated and what is the impact of that content moderation on the minority voices. And um, so if I, if I go a little bit further into, in, into that, um, in all of this, you know, either way, the news that is given out, the information that comes out usually has some sort of bias and typically is the editorial bias uh, usually set up by editors. And, you know, there's also a power biases that come along with it. Uh, you know, who controls the, you know, the news corporations, for example, uh, you know, you have all sides of the spectrum, for example, MSNBC is going to be very far liberal, you know, Fox News is going to be very uh, far right. But, uh, you know, the social media always was intended to be a sort of a liberator of people's voice. And when you have situations like this, where, you know, a large number of people could report a particular tag and the machine learning algorithms take that as an input, and automatically block a certain uh, keywords around a certain time frame. That is sort of a, you know a new way of suppression of of voices, uh, and that is exactly what happened. And I tried to decode some of it, and you know the human component of it, and also you know the bias component, the algorithm bias, which is a huge re you know topic of research within the machine learning community. So uh, I posted that as a you know as an explanation, and I was very surprised that it uh, took up you know it, it it got retweeted like uh, you know hundreds of times and yeah you got a lot of uh, interest yeah. on it yeah and last time i checked it was uh, it was seen more than 50,000 times wow wow yeah it was an interesting one so, so i just maybe let me unpack this a little bit so as i understand this then as you're describing it sort of we have this user driven input in facebook and instagram there's an algorithm running on the back end, perhaps some people moderation that we've heard a lot about, you know, that's curating certain types of content that is or isn't appropriate. We've talked about, we've heard about fact checking and these sorts of things. Was the premise that it was blocked not on input? You could input the seek tag. It was how that was distributed and moderated within the constraints of the algorithm and perhaps even the people moderation model on the back end? So there are multiple components of it, the way I understand it. So Verge, for example, did an article on the Facebook moderation and the, you know, the, uh, I, I think Facebook has around more than 15,000 employees uh, that primarily their job is moderation. You know, sometimes, you know, in social media, all, all sorts of social, social media networks, all sorts of images and videos do get uploaded, right? Uh, I think it starts with human moderation until it becomes sort of non-scalable for human moderation. That's where machine learning algorithms kind of jump in. Mm -hmm. um, um, and But the, the, the issue there is, uh, one, if I think the mixed model works in a way where, you know, if a certain number of people report, uh, you know, a certain tag, then it becomes triggered for moderation. Now, the question becomes, who are the moderators, right? Moderators themselves are humans that are going to have their own biases as well, right? Um, so I think um, the example that I gave there was when you have a fairly distributed, uh, you know, um, topic of moderation, for example, you know, are people aligning with uh, liberal, you know, think tanks or are people aligning with, you know, conservative think tanks, it typically gets, you know, somewhat balanced out, right? You have, you know, either you know, 40, 50, or, you know, some of that kind of divide. 
But when you have very minority voices, right? They may be ethnic minority, they may be uh, you know minority due to sexual orientation, they be minority due to you know certain native choices or you know um, any kind of minority voices where the representation is very less. Um, then I think it becomes problematic because then even the moderators are going to you know flag something which may be offensive to a certain community as unoffensive, and I've seen that happen. uh you know in certain cases myself uh where certain for a um, uh, you know uh kind of information was very derogatory when i reported it to to facebook as well it was moderated as you know it was okay with the community standards the problem that happens is is now that that information is going to uh, feed into the feedback loop of the algorithm that is learning from that moderation process yeah and if that minority voice is very small then it going it is going to become exponentially uh pretty quickly which might be difficult to break down the line yeah yeah i kind of like my i'm a simple person here over here so i mean the, i like to use analogies i think of the whole when you train an animal let's say an, a dog it, it exhibits the same good but also the bad behaviors often of the person who trains it so you're just reinforcing especially if there's a minority set of views do you when you look at this it's like it's such a complicated thing because on one hand you say okay well the the origin of this was free market voice anybody should have a voice and that voice should be equally distributed as it is truly represented in the community. On the other side you have curation content algorithms to try to I guess in some ways better align you with the message that you already want to see and that's maybe where this really breaks down to a, to a different set of problems. But then there's also the issue of just, you know, creating safety and and because there's a lot of voices out there that, you know, can can be challenging to listen to. How do you think about that? I mean, just from my perspective, actually this company we dealt with real estate data. And so it very much was about free market representation, but there was also a consortium of people who standardized what was, you know, reasonable data that didn't have biases, but you could, you know, you had to be very careful about how you talked about crime data and and different things that had negative impact on, you know, the machine that feeds the industry. I think bringing this back to social media, like how do you think about that from a free market versus closed loop kind of system because I mean you kind of have to have both components. How do we how do we kind of get that right um from a data perspective based on your background? Yeah, I think I and it's I don't think, you know, anyone has an answer neither do I. but these are interesting problems happening um see i i, I think you know one of the things that happened i used to my background uh, i i worked in a media house uh, you know house um within a university for a few years and it was the, during the time that all of that uh, you know the, the journalism was going through this complete uh, change and a lot of the newspapers were failing uh now in in a less globalized world you know you had you know um you had information that was being distributed locally so you had these you know variety of information that existed in those 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 small uh areas that influenced your daily lives uh now with the whole globalization and you know the social media networks having um there, there are large networks there aren't many you know small socialized networks right everybody uses facebook everybody uses instagram so what has happened is that now those you know um the small bubbles have ballooned into those large bubbles and now they are um you know geographically they can be whichever but they are more based on you know the certain leanings um the question is like how do you um you know how do you balance it it's a tough one right uh, i mean twitter for example uses this idea of uh you know giving the blue blue text and basically saying 
you know, these voices are more influence, uh, you know, influential. Uh, the question then becomes, uh, which voices do you consider? You know, what about the moderation of that process, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I know that, uh, you know, we have seen certain cases where when Twitter is trying to go into a certain country um, and, and it will favor, you know, certain governments to give certain, you know, uh, you know certain authority to the voices, mm-hmm. right? Um, or certain biases, you know, that come with the government and, you know, when our corporations are trying to work. So it's an interesting problem, right? I... Uh, what is the solution for it? I think one, there needs to be more representation. I've always been, uh, you know, huge advocate of you know um, diversity within the teams. Mm. Uh, even when you know we were building our team for the boss company, uh, the very first uh, you know person that we hired uh, for our team was uh, you, know, um, you know a woman, a minority, and then you know we as we started to grow our team, we had a very diverse team for the first three years or four years I was there. Um, and I think part of it is, um, you know, not hiring just for diversity, but basically saying, you know, it is important to have, you know, these very diverse voices. That is one. Uh, I think the other part is, um, I also think that, you know, what we consider these as large platforms that are giving enabling people voices. Um, I think there, there needs to still be, you know, ethnic local smaller platforms, right? They may be mm. country specific or they might be language specific. Uh, because other, you know, otherwise, what's going to happen is, uh, you know, people who are on the top of the People's Magazine are going to be the influentials, uh, you know, who drive almost, uh, you know, all, all sorts of, um, uh, you know, what are what is important? Like think about think about this is happening within uh, in our era, that uh, you know, Kim Kardashian was able to influence, you know, a president. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, about uh, you know a social very uh, you know a social issue, so it's it's interesting times to say the least, right? I but, think you've um, got it so right. Like th- that, it, it, you think about this, and we've globalized culture, and in some ways, right? Like I think of this idea of intentional diversity versus intentional bias, and like over modern history, people have always gravitated to people who have similar perspectives of them because that's like your host, your family, your community. It makes you feel safe. We then polarize to this perspective of like all culture is right there in the open and you have to amalgamate, which was great. We introduced diversity. Now what we're trying to figure out is how do you balance it with this idea of intentional diversity where you're challenging yourself to include perspectives that you wouldn't have otherwise seen, but you're also, um, you know, I guess not forcing a conversation on somebody who's just like not ready to have it, I I guess. Like I really like the idea of um, people having like the, the systems that we create, allowing you to choose what you subscribe to. I think that's good because it, it's kind of like the way the world was before all of the internet, but there has to be more of a push into this idea of intentional diversity, like looking and subscribing it and making it easy to, but these, these things just have a very challenging balance point on both ends of the system. Um, yeah. and I don't think an algorithm gets it right, nor do I think humans curating it in a centralized way, getting it right. So I have to go back to my, I guess, basically libertarian viewpoint that like an individual should be offered choice, um, but voices shouldn't, you know, the voices should be accessible that they need to have that choice to pick from. And then it's, you know, about educating people on making that choice to broaden their horizons. I mean, that to me feels like the purest cycle in which we can get this um, conversation really like rolling in a way that balances both things. 
Yeah, I think uh, you, you you said it right. I think you know it shouldn't be diversity or uh, you know amalgamation of voices shouldn't be forced. I mean, when it's forced, you know, um, it doesn't come out right. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the things that we practice, and maybe you know, Tristan, I'll, um, uh, you know, you might want to share your experience of traveling as well. I'll share two examples. Like one, um, I think in the beginning when we started the company, we had an opportunity, uh, you know, to. Uh, there was an accelerator that was happening in Dubai. We heard from them. Uh, it was a smart cities accelerator. And, uh, you know, we never ended up uh, pursuing that. We had certain biases. And at a later point of, uh, you know, time during, uh, I think it was third year, second, third, third year or fourth year, we had an opportunity to attend a research conference in Qatar. And, you know, um, my business partner and we were sitting there, you know, in, in the middle of Qatar, there was a, uh, a bazaar and uh, in the middle of the night and we while experiencing it we were like all our perceptions of the place are just you know just broken right so i think traveling is one component i think the other component we also um always had this idea within the team that everyone you know what is culture so we used to talk about you know the the when you're trying to bring in diversity you have to create safe spaces and you have to uh you know um make sure that everybody uh, you know kind of abides with the idea of empathy and respect whenever you you know you come across people who have different opinions right and sometimes you know those opinions might be you know at complete 180 degree to each other right um as long as you know you understand that it's okay there you know this is a safe space you know and there is nobody is trying to show everyone uh, else down and everybody has an opinion right and everybody um it doesn't mean you have to uh, you know, uh, adapt that opinion, but you know, it's 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 important that people feel empowered to share what they believe, right? Mm. And I think creating those safe safe spaces, you know, within companies is I think it's 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 very essential in 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 the globalized world where we're going to have very diverse population, very globalized kind of workforce. I think this idea of empathy and respect being integrated, uh, ingrained again and again in, in within the cultures, I think that helps as well. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. There's, there's something about that bringing your authentic self to work, being able to do that and uh, trusting your employees, your company, to, mm -hmm. that's, that, that's, that, that is okay for, for you to do. So I think there's something really uh, important about that as well. And I think it's, you know, the next generation of, of workers coming online are going to feel even more bent in that direction. It's interesting having those conversations, being, you know, COVID and working from home and uh, talking to like our parents or grandparents, you know, or people in like the baby boomer generation and how some actually have that opinion, like, actually, you should have lived two lives. You know, you should live your work life and you should live your home life. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, talking to like my sister who's younger than me, and it's like completely the opposite perspective. It's like, I want to be who I am at work. I want to be who I am at home. You know, I'll be the same person. I'm not a different person. So I think we're kind of getting into some of those, some of that conversation of, uh, yeah, having that safe, having the safe space. And, you know, we talked a little bit with Wesley Faulkner on the last episode about uh, employee resource groups, um, you know, allowing people to organize around their cultural or background differences and be able to then provide that unique voice to different aspects of the, of the company and different, you know, different business functions. And so, yeah, I think you're totally right. And I think experiential, uh, you know, ex experiences, um, travel, um, different types of experiences, different types of cultural events, um, 
you know, one of the, something that you can do often in person um, and at, at large scale where, you know, hundreds or thousands of people may go to even like a music festival or, uh, you know, there, there's just that you learn such a broad perspective from meeting people at these gathering points. And so now I guess also finding the right gathering points when, you know, we have to manage also this virus is, is, is its own challenge as well. Right. Right. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think sometimes, um, you know, even I think the advantage that you have when you're, uh, you know, when you build the culture right from the get go of, you know, hiring without bias, um, you know, thinking, promoting diversity is that you start to get some of those experiences within your team every day. Right? Mm. Uh, the more diverse your teams are, uh, you know, I think the more are the chances of capturing so many different um, perception data points mm -hmm. uh, that it becomes, you know, sort of an everyday thing, right? Versus if you have, you know, uh, let's say, you know, just very homogeneous team, uh, it may be you know, for sexual orientation or it may be, uh, you know, for uh, race or you know, language or things like those. Um, so uh, yeah, I think I think you're spot on. It's a lot of it comes with experience, and I I don't think anybody has perfectly nailed it down. And I don't think it, uh, anyone would ever would be perfect in doing it. It's it's a sort mm -hmm. of a you know two steps forward, one step back kind of process. It's very dynamic. As long as, it's very yeah, dynamic. Exactly. I, I think about it as you guys are talking. I'm thinking about it like like going back to the machine learning algorithms that we're talking about in Facebook. More data inputs is generally good, but you need a reinforcement loop. What is that reinforcement loop? In my mind, it's been diversity with commitment. So you, you diversity is the company leading first saying, here's a safe space. But then when you talk about festivals or travel, there's this shared commitment that everybody's kind of in it together. That also mm -hmm. happens bottom up, which becomes that reinforcement loop of making sure that the best perspectives also, and sometimes that commitment is a commitment to disagree and commit, mm -hmm. but ultimately mm -hmm. what you're doing is you're broadening the amount of voices and creating reinforcement loops so that the best things rise to the surface, but that's not typically as problematic in a human a human scenario as it is at the kind of scale that these that these um, these big systems are running in. So it, it's one of those things where I think it works really well in smaller circles, smaller ponds. Big splash, small pond is what I've I've always tried to think about with these things. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I'll also share an interesting. Um, you know, perspective from the Wikipedia, you know, a lot of, uh, so yeah, I, I think about if, if I'm a moderator and I'm trying to moderate, um, or, you know, provide some, you know, provide some decision around a certain data point, um, around a particular language or place or a culture that I'm not completely familiar with, mm. what would I refer to? Uh, I would refer to Wikipedia, right? That'll be my first point to go. Now, you know, the biases within Wikipedia are huge, right? Because Wikipedia has also become a sort of a, you know, um, a tool for, you know, uh, spreading a certain information. And, you know, there are certain um, organizations or certain groups that can spend a lot more resources or even the representation, right? So I, I completely agree with you that, uh, you know, that uh, as we go towards this globalization, um, I think we have to still preserve some of that, you know, smaller groups. And uh, it's an inter interesting dynamic of how we open up, how we build these small groups, but we don't close them up. So there is still 
you know, conversation happening across groups and how do we promote, um, I think, that, that transfer of information. And I think as you guys, are, you know, as all of us are, have been entrepreneurs and, you know, we, uh, we tried, you know, our aim is to build organizations that are large enough within a certain uh, geography, but sometimes, you know, we get to a point where we scale beyond those geographies. I think there is a, uh, there's a lot of opportunity for startups and enterprises that, you know, sometimes even governments don't have. You know, governments typically take cater to, uh, you know, a certain country or a certain demographic or a certain, you know, bias that comes embedded by being geographically locked versus, you know, companies themselves are not so. You know, they're, uh, they're far more flexible as they grow to larger scales. Yeah. Sam Altman had a great tweet this week. Uh, I'll just share this. He said, what do you say? He said, independent thinking is becoming more valuable the less of it there is. And, and I thought it was a, a nice like one-liner that kind of just highlighted, yeah, why startups are valuable because of it, the independent thinking and pushing it, but also just in this broader conversation is independent thinking. Like if you, if you can't rely on Wikipedia, <laughs> right? You gotta be able to think independently and have that conscious understanding of what the information that get, uh, there it is. Sorry, I paraphrased. The a willingness, oh, that's even nicer. The ability or more important willingness, yeah. That makes it even Plus nicer. Yeah. It requires courage. Yeah. You know, the yeah, ability I think sometimes people have, but again, you know, will you willingly do it? And we saw that example of um, you know, taking decisions around uh, you know, how the stand of Facebook and Twitter completely differed in you know last few days during the Black Light Movements. Uh, how did how did it split? Actually, I wasn't aware of that. So I think uh, Twitter, I think it was around, uh, you know, marking um, the tweets of President Trump uh, by Twitter as uh, you know certain saying you know, that. I think uh, yeah, uh, promoting violence or yeah. being potentially unfactual, but still allowing access, but then kind of covering them with a modal or something right right mm -hmm. and i think facebook stand was to not do that i think they reversed it mm, uh, right 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 yeah wow but i think it was interesting right it was interesting to see that dynamic play because you know companies have to work with the governments and companies have also to make sure that you know all different sorts of voices are being heard you know not just the mm -hmm. popular opinion right uh and how do they strike that balance and as a company as a corporation how much of um, is your responsibility towards, you know, your investors and, you know, the social good of the people. Those are two sometimes can be very competing things. Yeah. Right? So I think it's, yeah, I've heard this, uh, this statement of, uh, what was it like multi multi stakeholder, uh, instead of just shareholder and thinking about how your business impacts everyone that it like, you know, matter, you know, if it's a, on the logistics chain or or they're an employee or a customer or that greater community and just considering all that impact on everyone that you have uh, in, in interaction with. Right, right, right. And I think we have, you know, I've been uh, in the past uh, since uh, the pandemic started, I've been doing, you know, self-reflection. I've also been reading. I, I like history, uh, a little bit of philosophy. And, uh, you know, within, uh, you know, the Sikh paradigms, there is this concept of Sarbat, right? 
and the idea of sarbat is that uh, you know whenever it gets invoked quite a bit uh, you know within within sikh paradigms and the idea of sarbat is everyone mm. right and it includes um, you know it includes not just people it includes environment it includes so even the definition of you know the god within the idea of sikhism is ek omkar which basically means there is just one mm. right and if there is just one that means that you know the idea of sarvat that everything is not disconnected from you. you you know you're just part of this one big thing and if you know start you start to think about that way then you start to you know the, the responsibilities that you have towards other people you know even people who are competing with you you know the responsibilities you have towards the environment the responsibilities that you have towards you know the earth the, the, the place we call home the responsibilities that you have towards the communities that we live in our customers and you know the all different kind of voices and diversity in the voices uh i think that becomes very that comes very naturally then um i think uh, in this in this era of competition it's very easy to start getting focused on we are building this company and we are competing with the world right uh, and sometimes to lose that foresight of you know why are we doing this you know if, if it's the whole it's the collective whole and i think the idea in terms of you know one of my mentor usually talks about you know what is the what is the way to build a successful company and the idea is to solve actually human problem right to to eliminate human pain and if you're doing it right mm. i think that is how you build a successful company um so i think that's it's very interesting how you know some of the things that we want to look for the future can sometimes come from the past <laughs> that's deep yes. that's deep especially as i i think about that against my own experiences western culture just how fiercely independent many western cultures are and you can really see the differences and how something like that can be needed um you know and that's deep you hit me hard mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> it always brings me back to sapiens when you when you kind of you know look I feel like that uh, the the author there loves that like let's let's go back and learn from everything before then we can actually move forward and right. there's yeah it's I love that timeline approach because there is so much you can learn it's it's not that it's irrelevant and we are still all humans and still thinking the same way we're not to that homo deus yet where we've you know modified ourselves enough we're actually very very similar trying to live in a totally different environment Whoa, right. ho- ho- Homo Deus, <laughs> unpack this for me. You gotta. I don't have this deep. Uh... Yeah, the, well, the, well, the Homo Deus is the follow up to Sapiens, where okay. he then starts. Go- Sapiens kind of gives you that, like, I don't know, ten thousand years, you know, post agriculture uh, evolution, and then Homo Deus goes into this. We, we will not be, you know, Homo Sapiens at some point anymore. We'll have either too too much uh, modifications. Um, you know, either uh, with data or robotically, um, you know, we might, you know, have nanorobotics in our in our brains, you know, like we, we will get it to a point where we won't actually be able to qualify as a true homo sapien anymore. Wow. And so that's kind of what the second follow up uh, that he gets into. Who's he and where is this from? I'd like to read this sometime. Yeah, let's uh, pull it yeah, up. Let's here. pull that link out. Because I mean, there's people uh, already talking about this, like, you know, just this and like, this is like it's almost an extension of you already so like maybe we're like we're almost there right with the internet so okay mm-hmm. yeah it's so. yuval uh harari wow a brief history of tomorrow i want to read this but i think it's gonna scare me 
<laughs> it's a it's a it's a really helpful read um i love sapiens uh he just has a great perspective on helping you take a step out of your current environment and look back on what is like you know where have we come from what is the global culture you know what are we living in and help you have those realizations so that you can take a step out and be more uh unbiased and be more objective and start it really helped me uh, even like take like critical thinking to another level because there's a lot of things that you grow up in in your own culture in your own country you know in your own community that you don't always realize and uh and you know and he, he starts to look at you know how things have um come together as a global culture and overall i mean there's a lot of things that still you know occur that may seem that progress is inhibited but if you look at the long scheme of things we're actually progressing quite quickly and quite rapidly and it's usually moving forward to a bit more positive place um and you know we're adapting this global culture which then also means it's much harder to change a global culture so you know that might also be indicative of why it does take really large movements to change things because it's not just a one country uh you know or a one community thing anymore it's you know everyone is getting exposed to a lot of the same things mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah go ahead mm -hmm. go ahead no, go ahead. I was just going to comment and say it, it's incredibly obvious how you could see this sorts of, you know, philosophy, ideology and open to like these ideas, how you could see that permeating in to the technology that we build and use every day, you know, by making it, making it something that you absorb and, and bringing it into your perspective as you're writing that next software system, right? Yeah. I, you know, some years ago, I, I, I read uh, Martin Hedegger and he has, um, uh, he has an essay, I think it's called uh, On Technology. I think it's called something like that. Um, and he was a, like, he he wrote that essay, I think, beginning of the last century. And uh, he, it's an interesting uh, thought process. He basically says, you know, we make, um, we basically uh, do innovation. We develop technology uh, to move our life towards a certain direction. And you know, as we move towards a certain direction and, you know, it makes our life easy, there comes a certain point where the technology actually starts nudging our path towards, you know, a certain way, right? So um, I think so just the people who are usually developing the technology, they have to be very cognizant of, uh, you know, the idea of which way they are being nudged, right? Um, I mean, there are multiple examples within our, you know, within our history uh, where you can look at, for example, you know, um, the, the advent of nuclear uh, nuclear fusion, right? And, you know, which direction to take from there or, uh, you know, how we developed fossil fuel and, you know, what were the impacts, right? Uh, I think there was a time where like all of the scientific community was saying that lead was you know, just fine. Uh, there was no issue of, you know, lead being within, they, they make car more efficient. So it was better for the economy. It was, you know, people could travel places, right? But then, you know, how does, and I think I always go back now, especially, when I started to think about this idea of Sarvat, an idea of this one, is that, you know, how much of it, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm taking from it and how much of it, you know, are we building this whole, right? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the problems that you even see within uh, even the racial issues or injustice or, you know, uh, where we have strong biases can be, uh, you know, as we start to go into this idea of, you know, this oneness uh, can be addressed very quickly because then you start to think, okay, you know, uh, a person who's a different color or a different upbringing or a different background is no different, you know, from me. 
and you know what i'm trying what i'm spending my life what is the legacy i'm leaving towards building the kind of things that i want to build because eventually we will all perish away right is uh, how does it add to that survival right uh, while still you know uh, giving you a piece of you know whatever you want to attain with your yeah i like that uh You'll have to send me a, a link to that after. I'd love to throw that in our link drop, and I, I do appreciate that that oneness. And you know, I even had this thought the other day. It's like you know, every the whole like you are what you eat, right? And and like every thing, right? You know, is always being processed back through and becoming a little bit of you, and you know, supporting this continuation of of life on Earth. And it's just nice to be able to step back and think of that. And I think, like you were saying earlier within work from home days now everyone's had more time to reflect um and think about some of these these things and, and it just as a matter of changing perspective and and you mentioned that earlier too just the perspective being able to have people with different perspectives it the yeah the clearest outcome is that it's there are going to be things uncovered and i think we, you know that's just the that's just the you know the long and short of it Well, uh, Arvinder, it's that been a, a pleasure. Uh, that was really, yeah, I, I, think we uh, I think I'm all in on the Sorbat and, uh, yeah, thanks for coming on. Any last, uh, any other thoughts, um, no. before we wrap up? Yeah, I think, I think we wanted to, we were going to go in a different direction. <laughs> we uh, thought about talking about, you know, um, uh, you know, starting up with technology and, you know, start doing the startup and making those choices and moving, moving that, but I think, um, you know maybe we can do that uh, you know another time but i think some of these issues are important especially now um i since i leaving uh, so i i ran uh, urban logic as a cto for about four years a little less than four years and then uh, I, you know took a brief uh, you know pause uh to you know just explore things that i was sort of going out um but i i work a lot so i started a nonprofit uh, where i work with international students who I've come here as fresh, uh, you know, students and immigrants, and I, I see, you know, every day I hear about the cases and uh, about struggle, right? Um, when you're making the choices about career, when you're making the choices about, you know, starting something or you know, just dealing with the pandemic and dealing with everyday fights and fires, and I think, uh, you know, in 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 the world of startup where you know we are having billion dollar valuations around us, sometimes it's it's easy to lose the sight of, uh, you know, where we're going. And I think so, I think these, these questions are important. I, I think this, the COVID-19 was a good time to kind of sit back and reflect on what do we want to, what do I want, personally for me, what do I want to do next? And what do I want to build next, right? And it definitely is going to be more towards, you know, does it include everyone? Does it include value? So. I like it. That's Where great. can we take a look at what you're working on now? Is there a is there a website up now? Can we drop that in there as well? Yeah. So yeah, I have my personal website, arvindkang.com. I've been mostly keeping it under the wraps for now, but cool. uh, I think any announcement I'll do, I'll do it on the you know on the website. Uh, I'll send you the link. Yeah, send us the link. We'll share it around for sure. We'd love to. Awesome. Well, with that, I think we're coming to it conclusion of uh, another episode of the op show thank you our vendor uh we will hopefully have you back on the show and we can go even more into the scaling a startup and all the things that go into being a technical leader on that side of the of the planet and thank you so much uh it's been a pleasure 
welcome and uh, <laughs> we'll see you next time. Thank you so much, Tristan. And uh, yeah, I've been, you know, uh, met you years ago, but you know, I've been following your journey. It's a very interesting journey. And Kyle, you know, so great to you know meet you. And finally, when this is over, we'll probably you know get together, have a cup of coffee together. Absolutely, and I'm glad we have like three or four, or maybe five other topics left to uh, discuss. I'm really, really excited and looking forward.